0: Hello, product innovators. Today, we learn from a CPA, lawyer, and executive from the manufacturing sector on how to think about financing for eventual acquisition.
1: You're listening to the Product Startup Podcast. Now, onto the show.
0: Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm excited to introduce Joe Sakala to the show. Joe is both a CPA and a lawyer from the manufacturing sector. He has worked with many emerging and established manufacturing operations, including a major turnaround of Jefferson Electronic, which, by the way, went on to go public. Since then, Joe has spent the past 10 years researching how to financially scale hardware companies and is now working to launch Dream Exchange a way for small companies to go public. Today, Joe is going to share some valuable knowledge on how inventors, startups, and small manufacturers can think ahead to how they will finance and scale their product, but also what an acquisition or go-to-public exit looks like and why it's always good to think about that sooner in the product startup journey than later. Now, on to the show. Joe, welcome to the show. Happy to have you here.
2: Great to be here, Kevin. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, yeah, really glad you're here. Um, I was laughing before the show because, uh, you said that you've got a hobby recently and I was really interested. Okay, well, what could Joe be up to? And amongst all the things that you're doing in your career and, uh, well, you told me you had six kids and that's the hobby. (laughs) And I don't know how you do it all. And with six kids.
2: Yeah. It leaves little room for anything else, but, uh, you know, and the, even older ones, there's just. Uh, the the dad hat is the number one hat that I wear. <laughs> so no,
0: I, I don't blame you. I'm new to the game. I've just got a he's almost eight months old, but uh, you know that's already been a a, a mitful. So I can't imagine six. Well, I, I'm especially amazed by how much you've accomplished and what's going on uh, as well with Dream Exchange and everything else. We'll get to that in a bit. Um, But first and foremost, uh, Joe, why don't you just give us a bit of a background in in your history? I know you've got a lot of experience in manufacturing. Very excited to talk about that today. Um, Why don't you just kick it off with a brief uh, background, and then uh, we'll jump into what's going on in production and and your
2: insights. Sure. I I opened an M&A firm about uh, 14 years ago inside my law practice, really. And my my real goal was uh, to help people who make things. Um, that's the backbone of the country, and if you're manufacturing something and you make a product, uh, I begin to notice that there are a lot of tools that uh, manufacturers didn't have because they're so concentrated on making more and selling more. So, really, my background kind of relevant for our discussion today is you know I had many manufacturing companies that I helped to raise capital and I helped them exit, but inside of that, I created a lot of programs to help the the owner and CEO kind of develop a plan to raise the capital and to successfully exit so and you know I'm 30 years a CPA and a lawyer so one or one or both of those so that's it's kind of the approach I brought to all my consultative work.
0: Oh that's great and you know we've got a lot of startups that listen to the show uh, a lot of product developers and I have always been a big fan of looking Forward at the light at the end of the tunnel, really understanding like you're, you're, even if you're just starting on the journey developing an adventure, even if it's just in the back of your head, thinking down the road and, and realizing that, okay, first and foremost, if you want to succeed with a hardware product, you've got to get to production. But then when you're in production, what options do you have? So I'm very interested, Joe, to talk to you today about um, the concept of manufacturing, getting sales, but all with a plan around exiting. Through acquisition, and I can tell you, most of the clients that we have uh, that come through Macro Design, starting just from a sketch and going all the way through to production, uh, basically anyone who's got into even kind of low six-figure sales numbers, most of them are getting acquired by big companies. So that you know, those companies because those companies are spending less in R and D and they're spending more money on acquiring great new emerging technologies that have been tested in the market that have real users saying, "I love this." Right. So if we're thinking about a potential exit? Let's trickle back to even the first manufacturing run as we as we get going. We talked about this, Joe, behind the scenes a little bit. And I'm really interested. You talk about this automation and manufacturing. Uh, what exactly does that mean? And how can a startup think about that as they're starting to get their product into market and starting to build their manufacturing pipeline out?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So you know, first and foremost in your mind, you have to take the viewpoint of the person who may be acquiring your business, and especially as it, as it may pertain to automation, what are they buying? And you know, if you have processes in place, and you have key staff that may be very good, but they're really, like you alluded to, they're they're very much more interested in concentrating on your idea, the novelty, the thing that enhances value to them. Because especially if they're a big company, they may not need all your sales they just may need what you're doing that can enhance their sales a hundredfold and if you had their abilities you'd be able to do that well you know an automation process or an a key acquisition where you know you may want to raise money to buy another small company and, and get merged in that I've done that numerous times where you're kind of rolling up what is needed in your own environment to make yourself more saleable and increase your value. Concentrating on the exit value is a really important thing for for a manufacturing company to do. Um, and it doesn't necessarily increase value just because you made the next sale. If you've developed the process and you've developed your your pilots and you've gotten them commercialized, that becomes extremely valuable in an exit conversation.
0: Absolutely. And I like how you mentioned kind of the automation in in manufacturing, but in other elements of your business too you have to think about it from a buyer's perspective, right? Some of them may just want your technology. So you've proven the market, you've got some users, they love your product. They may just say, you know what? We're going to buy your technology and we're going to stick it into our ecosystem and it's all going to be figured out and off we go. However, more often than not, what they do is they acquire potentially you, potentially your staff, potentially your processes, your backend. I've seen many examples where, especially in the manufacturing space, uh, people think okay i'm gonna exit and we're gonna you know walk away from this thing but the reality is that company yes they wanted your technology and they're willing to pay a fair price but they didn't have either the time or the resources to essentially redo your entire business model so they're not just in- investing in your technology but they're investing in your processes so you want to make sure that you're not taking those buyers off the table if you say well look i don't have any processes i have no tech you know i, I have no processes uh, my staff it's basically just, uh, myself i haven't written down how i do anything you know my customers are all friends of mine or or through my own direct network and all of a sudden you have no automation you have nothing other than your technology you're losing probably the largest part of that potential acquire market so the sure. more that you can automate Everything from your manufacturing to your internal processes, the exponentially more conversations you're going to have with potential buyers that may have different ways of seeing your technology integrate into their business. So, right. in terms of that, Joe, um, talk a bit about what happened uh, with your experience. You were with uh, Jefferson Electric for almost five years, uh, back near 2006 and onwards. Um, you kind of took them through a major transformation. Now, this was a 90 year old company, but they mm-hmm. needed a lot of work to think forward to that acquisition. Um, walk us through what happened there.
2: Right. And you, you've you nailed it. I mean, the fact is that there was a lot of strategic thinking. And when you're looking at exiting, there's you can put the pools of your, your potential partners into two categories, a financial buyer and a strategic buyer. And historically, a strategic buyer, for all the reasons that you just outlined, Kevin, is a far more valuable exit. So what we did at Jefferson was we created a strategy because they'd been operating well for 90 years. They'd, they'd sold great products. They were very well-known, but the strategy to get them to a next level and exit involved, A, getting processes in place, Getting, getting a, they had to do a key acquisition. They actually did a foreign acquisition in Mexico right after I started working with them, which gave them manufacturing capacity, but it also gave them the ability to implement a certain amount of automation in their plant. And the strategic buyers were looking at it going, wow, we can fill a plant with these types of products. And that's very valuable to us to buy. And, and they didn't, you know, Jefferson at the time, they didn't have the sales. Um, they didn't have the profitability. They didn't have the things a financial buyer would be interested in, but they clearly were so much more strategic to the eventual buyer and the, the eventual buyer paid significantly more than all the people we tried to raise capital from because they were purely looking at a, a balance sheet and income statement. So we definitely executed a really good plan on key acquisitions, automation of plan. We hired a chief operating officer and that guy actually expanded sales because we didn't have these kind of like you just described, like, Hey, I know Jim, he's my cousin. He's going to buy from me, Well, we got a, we got a national sales figure Ran a sales team, and that was he went. He was sold with the company, so um, those type of strategic decisions are really important to consider early on.
0: Something that really stands out for me there that is very applicable even to the earliest stage startups is that that acquisition took place not on financial merits, and that is the situation that a lot of startup product uh, businesses will be in. You may not have great margins. Yet. You may not have great sales yet. You may not have national distribution. You may not have your own production facility. You may not have your own sales team, but you're going to have certain core pieces that that company needs and can substantially amplify. So that's, you know, it's, it's interesting that even a 90 year old company with that much history still found an acquire that found more merit in their non-financial their their value than, than elsewhere. And I think for you know think of innovators, you no, know, your greatest value is obviously your invention. So the more that you can now show up shore up these other things that Joe is talking about in terms of automating as much as you can to make as much um about that business acquisition attractive to a p- potential buyer, the exponentially better off you're going to be. Um, so one of those things, Joe, that uh, you talk about a lot um, is in terms of it, automation, but comparing the short term to the long term. So automation is really whether it's whether it's a, a staffing automation or internal processes or manufacturing or whatever else, generally it requires an upfront investment. So you know it's one of those things where you're investing for the long term now you know you're putting money forward and effort and resources even personal time all of that is considered an investment but down the road that allows you to create that automation which very much is you know increasing that attractability of, of your company. so why don't you talk a bit about how you kind of think about funding that automation like how do you pre-fund it let's say you don't have the money or the efforts or whatever to get in there how do you create that stepping stone so that you can invest forward and then, months or even years down the road, then feel like you're in a good position for that strategic acquisition. Once you've got that automation ironed out.
2: Yeah, that's, it's a similar conversation. You've got to get into the mindset of your investor. So if you're, if you need capital to expand, my favorite expression is you've got to bite the bullet. Um, and, And here's exactly to Kevin's point. And this is why you have to bite the bullet. Because if you don't go and and retool, if you don't go and put yourself in a position, even software engineering, um, where you're going to make an investment in software engineering, if you can persuade your investor that spending a dollar, you're going to reduce your profitability, it's costly. Anytime you change a process, there's the human element of it, not just the capital element of it, you're going to reduce your profitability. But the way a financial investor looks at your company is they take your earnings and they, they have a multiple an earnings multiple. Well, if you can show that a change in your processes can, for them, produce many more increased revenue dollars down the road, profitability dollars, well, every $1 of profitability is going to give you an exponential increase in the multiple. So a company that has $2 million in earnings today Well, your multiple is running between four and five. You might be worth eight or $10 million on paper. But if you can jump from a two to a three by getting capital in, you can increase your multiple valuation multiple to seven, eight, 10. So just getting that extra few dollars of earnings because you bit the bullet and you got yourself automated and you remove these risk factors for that future investor it's going to give you exponential increases in value. It gives you so much more leverage when you're exiting, it, if it's a, especially if it's a strategic investor. Um, a great example, I can give you one really good example, is WebEx. I mean, they were obviously a tech company, but they never made any money. They had $100 million in sales, and they literally lost money every year. But when they were acquired, they were acquired for $3.2 billion on $100 million in gross revenue and zero earnings. But right they were so incredibly valuable they had invested so much in the engineering of their audiovisual communications technology that in the hands of others they were like yeah we don't it would cost us more than 3 billion dollars to build this let's just buy it and in the other factor was before someone else comes and buys these guys right so the, those are the putting yourself in the mind of that strategic investor even after you're 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 asking for capital early on, but bite the bullet, get your capital or invest your profitability in making those changes and your value on exit is going to go way up.
0: And that, those are great points. And I think it's even more amplified when it comes to manufacturing, because not only do you have the investment yeah, yeah, you made to get you to this point, right? Manufacturing is really a long-term play, right? You're investing in tooling and infrastructure and scaling and whatever else, whether you're, you know, even from that first sketch that you have, through to getting your prototype then to getting into production then to getting your first sales and then to scaling right it's almost an exponential effect i've used that word a few times on purpose because hardware is very much like that it's a big investment up front but then it has massive scale down the road so if you're looking to exit not only are you ramp- looking to ramp up the amount of sales that you're making down the road but that when you're showing that increase in sales like you were saying joe you're increasing Your actual EBITDA value, which is or EBITDA multiple on on a sale. If you go from four to eight times EBITDA multiple on a sale, right? Not only have you made twice the money, but if you've doubled up revenue at the same time, now you've quadrupled your income. There, right? And you've also made yourself far more attractive. Um, You've shown that uh, that that interest in terms of scale and growth, um, which is you know whether it's a financial buyer or a strategic buyer, they all love to see that. But it's very capitally intensive, so it helps even if you're at the very first sketch stage. Think about those moments down the road. Think of where... And it's okay if you want to start a product and slowly grow and scale. But if you say, look, I want to make this thing 10 times the size, you have to invest now and you won't see that return tomorrow. It'll take a year or two or three years for that to then amplify for you to get the value from that return. And then that's the very benchmark that you're using there. Look at where I was three years ago. Look at where I am today. Look at how that money stretched. Look at the sales that are now made. Now I'm worth multiple times more. And that really is the beauty of hardware. Um, Nothing can really quite scale like hardware. You find the right buyer, you can go from 5,000 to 50,000 sales overnight, right? If they like what you're, what you're selling, right? You, you get that first deal with Home Depot or Walmart or whatever else. And all of a sudden you go from zero to hero. But I can tell you none of those deals happen without infrastructure investment, especially in hardware, especially in manufacturing.
2: Right. And, and getting to that little bit of extra profitability growing is far more important than getting to the actual big, big number. If you're growing, that's your leverage. When the buyers look at you and investors look at you, your leverage is, well, I, if I don't invest now, this guy's going to be at, at double his earnings in two years. I'm going to pay twice the price in two years. So yes. I, I, it makes them much more malleable to negotiating in the present time if you've done those things. If you haven't done those things and, and you're looking at getting capital, they're going, well, he's flat. he's been flat for, for 10 years, which is why it was so interesting to use Jefferson as my model, because we actually did that with Jefferson. And it took us about three years of making smaller investments in, in the hardware, in making sure that things could be built and scaled. In a way that we start, they started growing, and as soon as they started growing, it was like, okay, we better do this now because in two years uh, we're going to have to pay twice the price, um, and you might only get one and a half times, okay, but you're still getting more than you got by staying flat.
0: Well, I also think this is a bit of a hidden, you know, uh, let's call it an investment hack or a life hack. Because the funny thing is, when you're looking at these things and you say, hey, look, I grew this much in the last three years. They're far more excited about that than saying, well, yeah, but how much did you invest to get that growth? That question may come down the road, but that's not, it doesn't have nearly the impact of your growth in in sales. So you've got this opportunity to say, okay, let's leverage up, let's build up, let's show top line growth, which is the number one thing that an acquirer, especially a strategic acquirer, is looking for, right? They say, okay, well, because you're small time generally, and the acquirer is big for the most part. Obviously, there's exceptions to that, but the biggest thing is they're interested not really in the fact that sure maybe you've only made a hundred thousand dollars in sales, but if you took that from fifty thousand to a hundred thousand, heck, even if you invested fifty thousand in in order to get that growth, what they see is okay. If you took it from fifty to a hundred, we're now a hundred times the size of a company, so we are going to be able to use that same growth curve, but with our infrastructure, and make it a hundred times the size of a product, possibly even more for if we're using that to leverage up or grow some of our own technologies or to help sell some of our technologies or to package with our technologies or products or whatever else, right? So that's exactly. why it's so important to get that investment as early you know, as, as you can, especially when you're scaling, leverage that. And especially if your intention is exit, which we're talking about today, right? That will really amplify your ability to get a much, much bigger exit number and simply to be more attractive Uh, on on the same, at the same time.
2: Yeah. And if you're getting capital as an intermediate step to the exit, that's what you're selling. You want, you can't sell them on your financials. So what you're going to sell them on is the scaling. You're going to sell them on the plan that if they do this and they invest at the higher valuation, that that higher valuation will produce an even higher exit because you're spending money on things that are going to remain behind. That's what people want to buy. Um, you know and the, the multiples very interesting if you look at this and you look at your lane look at your company and what lane it's in and look at what are the potential public company uh, acquirers and look at their price to earnings on the stock exchange right and you'll begin to see that there's 20 and 25 and 30 times earnings in the public markets well they're not going to pay you 60 times your earnings to get you to your valuation but they might be willing to pay you 10 or 15. Why? Um, because if they buy 15 times your earnings, when they trade their shares, they're getting 20. The day they buy you, they've increased the value of your company to them because your earnings are worth more to their shareholders than they are to you. So that that, that financial mechanics, you gotta start early though. See that I'm giving that advice, which is go look at that now. Uh, right. go, go see now where your lane is and where those kind of financial metrics play out. And then you can decide, okay, this is how much money I really need to set aside to put that new machinery, new equipment, new automation, even sometimes new staffing. Staffing's, that some, it, staffing's a, a bit of a question mark, but not so much so because outside consultants can actually substitute for getting you over the hump and it's not permanent uh, payroll for you. So getting outsourced help is extremely valuable to including that hardware and that automation process. If you can get outside help to put it there, it's not a permanent expense, uh, and then it really helps your profitability down the road once it's implemented.
0: Yeah, great advice, Joe. Look, you've done a ton of research. I mean, to the point where you have uh, a white paper published in uh, the Oxford University Handbook on IPOs. Um, you've really studied for many years, 10 years and more beyond in your history before that, but really you're aggressively targeting 10 years research into how companies increase their value. How do they grow from being ultra startup, You know, a, a home inventor with a new gadget that they're just starting to sell? How does that company you know, essentially jump forward and accelerate quickly towards those public valuations and then even into those public valuations? So why don't you just tell everybody a bit about what you're working on with Dream Exchange because it's very exciting and how that ties into what we're talking about today.
2: Right. So we are creating, um, there's actually new legislation in Congress called the Main Street Growth Act, which will allow for a brand new type of stock exchange really dedicated to this very market. I actually call it the Rust Belt. Um, all these Midwest manufacturing companies, there are thousands of people who make things um, and they just don't really have access to any public capital. So when we did our research, we were looking at what are the characteristics of these smaller companies that do make it? So we, let's look at all the success stories. They obviously did something right. And actually, everything we've talked about today, I would say is number one. The number one thing is making sure that you actually put your processes in place, get your, uh, your hardware and your equipment in place and get your staff and, and your planning in place. That's number one. After that, there are other things that factor in like, do you have outside directors? Do you have key people who are in your industry that are willing to serve on a board? Even if it's an advisory board, find those people, make sure that you write down your financial data and your business plans so that you can be transparent with the market eventually, because eventually you might need to file securities filings. So there are a number of those types of characteristics in the white paper that will tell you if you are, and, and Jefferson was a, is a perfect example. It's a very small company. Uh, we, we implemented these plans. Uh, they graduated, uh, eventually they, they became a public company, graduated to the NASDAQ stock exchange, became part of the Russell 2000. And those owners who held their private company and didn't have any liquidity like that negotiated sale when you're going to go exit and you're really looking at big co buying you well if you're a public company you really remove all their leverage because if you want to sell some shares next week and get your liquidity so you can put a deck on your house or buy a car or pay for your kids college well that market doesn't exist the dream exchange is creating that market we're we're the inventors of what's called the secondary market for the very small company. And we're really targeting the small business manufacturing sector so that public equity is going to give you more leverage than just dealing with big co or just dealing with the, uh, you know, your private equity or your VC or, or some other strategic buyer. This is another lane that no one's playing in that we're going to open up. I, I, I see in just the area I can drive to from my home, there are 6,500 companies that would fit into the manufacturing eligibility for our new exchange. This, so this is amazing. We're, we thousands of companies, yeah. And,
0: and I think what's so incredible too, even if you're just at the early stages of developing a product or you're just starting to get to market, what's happening is, is uh, like uh, something like Dream Exchange, but also all the other infrastructure things that are coming around, financing coming down, companies acquiring more small companies, all this sort of stuff is accelerating, rapidly accelerating that growth trajectory for great products or great great manufacturers, great companies, that sort of stuff. So this is amazing that even if you're at the early stages, what's very exciting, what you should be looking forward to is saying like, okay, I'm building this thing from scratch. I've got my new hardware product. How do I start to look forward to say, look, let's start when it's it's easy, when it's just one person and, and their product, let's start thinking about these processes, thinking about these investment rounds coming forward, starting to... You know, get the uh, customer uh, customer reviews and all that sort of stuff, making sure people love your product, and then thinking, okay, well, if I'm gonna, now going to scale and grow this product, what are the steps that I need to take, and how do I do that in a way that is, as we talked about earlier, automated, so that I get more and more attractive to bigger funding rounds, which are then going to lead to you know high growth, big scalability, and potentially even getting you to access to public markets you know, as that happens, valuations all the way down, you know, trickles all the way down to the very early startup, their valuations are going to increase because these tools are helping them get further ahead. But this also helps you paint the picture to say, look, you can be a a great organization. If you want to be the, you know, the next big uh, product, the next big thing, there's a lot of tools, a lot of resources, as long as you're planning ahead and using some of the best practices of today, 2021, not the best practices of 20 years ago, or even 10 years ago, things that are happening today. So, stuff, stuff like Dream Exchange being able to give very small companies access to that public funding, I think, is a double edged sword. One, the public gets great opportunities to invest far earlier in great companies and be part of that scaling growth. It's not just reserved for private equity or angel investors or all your series investors. Now, regular people can get involved right and then secondary for these companies it gives them much more fair valuation so that they are getting valuations so they are getting an ROI that is getting at least closer to some of those big corporate um EBITDA numbers and whatever else EBITDA multiples in, in addition to that right so joe amazing what you're doing um what's the easiest way that people can follow what you're up to with dream exchange and everything else that's going on going so on
2: so to to track us i mean I Obviously, our, web, our website, <clears throat> excuse me, is uh, DreamX, D-R-E-M-E-X dot com. Um, so everything we're doing can be accessed there. But another thing you can just look up is called DreamX Connect. Uh, we built a social media site for the small business uh, company and the small business investor where you can go and put your company profile there. You can upload videos. You can upload uh, you know, PowerPoints. We have a menu-driven environment, just like Facebook. You know, you select down and, you know, what school did you go to? Well, we've designed for the small business, um, and and some of it you'll see there are specific questions to manufacturers, where you can just pull a menu down, put your company profile there, and then you can also do a Boolean search. You can search for investors, angel investors, uh, for strategic partners, and meet each other and we have a messaging board you can go offline it, it's a free social media site for for the small business that i think is the primary way if you're a small business owner today to get started in this kind of the dream exchange movement i mean the dream exchange is kind of an idea whose time has come for everything kevin just outlined it's like you know how do you even find that small company if you wanted to invest in it and if you're the right. small company you know, your Rolodex or your relationships are really limited by who you know and who you can call to get access to investors. So even DreamX Connect as a social media platform, and I think right now we've eclipsed like a thousand users and, you know, we're probably out, it's probably 90 days old, but we're going to have a thousand identities. We, we will have thousands of identities in the social media platform where if you're looking for capital or you're looking for a strategic partner. And you want to do it in a safe environment where you choose how much information you give and 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 get in communication. That access, the word the word access is is kind of our, our middle name. So uh, DreamX Connect is one of the best ways to start participating in the Dream Exchange kind of movement. Um, and you can find that through our website as well.
0: Well, access is key. So much appreciated for all your efforts and putting all this together. It's quite an exciting platform. Um, I just Googled here, dream exchange, dream com, or just Google dream exchange. It was the first thing that popped up, Joe. Thanks so much for sharing your insight, uh, with the hardware startups everywhere. Appreciate you uh, being on the show and hope to hear from you again.
2: Yeah. Great meeting you. Hope I helped your hope. I helped your folks.
0: Absolutely. So, thanks Joe. Take you care. Too, Kevin. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the product startup podcast. design.com for a free consultation from one of Maco Designs, 4 Design Studios from coast to coast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.